Hello and welcome to Step Into Light. I am Michelle Jones and today I'm really excited. I have my husband Ryan Jones here with me today. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I am actually really excited as I was thinking about who I wanted my very first guest to be. You were the very first person that came to my mind as we've been married now for 20 years this year and well 2019. I'm still catching up that it's 2020. And I love that we always think about things a little bit differently. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation today. I'm So this week we are covering 2 Nephi chapters 1 through 5. And in the first three chapters, we see some counsel that Lehi is giving to his family and then specifically to some individual sons. I do think, once again, I am struck by how interesting it is that we get a sneak peek, a little slice of actual family life happening here in the scriptures and we can see behind the scenes how Lehi is communicating with his children as a prophet and and then Nephi shares some of his testimony and some of his experiences um, and then we check in to see where exactly they are on this journey when we left off at the end of first Nephi they had just um, arrived at the promised land um, the other thing that I thought was going to be particularly awesome is that there's an awful lot of a father's counsel in here, and I'm excited to have you here, Ryan, as a father and a husband to hear some of your perspective on what Lehi is sharing. Yeah, one of the things that I really like about these uh, <clears throat> verses is um, Lehi's way of kind of interleaving the um, concepts of mercy, of justice. He definitely fears for Laman and Lemuel. And at times you can really sense that it's he's uh, very fearful of them um, to the point where he uh, really wants to shake them and, and get their attention. But he also interleaves the past, things that happened in the past, prophesying of the future and he kind of interleaves these things and all these things come together and, and he comes constantly comes back to the Savior Jesus Christ and how he brings all these things together and so that'll be that's kind of a, a theme I've noticed throughout these verses of Lehi's counsel and I have loved that as I've been reading through the Book of Mormon with kind of fresh eyes this time it's been one of my goals to really notice how often the Savior and how often um, the prophets in the Book of Mormon, they really do help us to more clearly understand the Savior and that he is like more accessible to us. And I think I'm noticing that more in this read through than I ever have before. So I love that you connected with that. And so Le Lehi definitely uses the word mercy a lot. And then he also uses the word love and and blessings and infinite goodness. He has, he has lots of different words that he kind of, he's constantly coming back to that. And all of those are really reassuring words, which I love because my experience with the Savior is always that he is there to support us, to protect us, but also just to meet us where we're at in a state of compassion and mercy. So I love that. It's interesting, he starts in verse four, sharing with them that he has seen a vision. So he shares with his family 
And one of the things that I thought was interesting about this, and this is not the first time, right? Through most of First Nephi, he's sharing visions, and that's what changes their whole lives, is that he has these visions and he shares them with this family. But I thought, okay, that's a really good example as a father that he, as he has these significant spiritual experiences, that the first thing that we see time and time again as a pattern in his life is that he wants to share that with his family and then that he testifies to them. So I thought that that was really, really wise. I was thinking about some of the spiritual experiences I have had and how I have not been as quick to share them with my children. And in this case, we have some <clears throat> some of the kids believe him and some do not, you know. Um, so Laban and Lemuel, I imagine they're uh, quite disillusioned. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it this week. They entered this promised land or the land of promise. And there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still it's not like life is easy by any means. True. It, it's a it's a. It's a blessed land, and 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 that it um, people can prosper as they as they're industrious and as they turn to to the Lord, but it's not easy. So I can imagine they're like, "Wow, this is it!" Like we had higher expectations of what this land was going to do for us. I, I, you know, that's interesting. I had never thought about it that way before. I was thinking that they probably felt that at the beginning of that of their first journey in the wilderness when they arrived at the seashore of Bountiful and they're probably like, this is great. And then they're getting told we have to move again. So I wonder if when Lehi comes to them and says, I've had a vision, if they're like, oh no, (laughs) where do we have to go now? What is our next trip? Because, you know, they have had to move. And, And it's interesting that you brought up the word prosper. I'm pretty sure although I have not like done a lot of research on it. But in verse 9 here in chapter 1, Lehi says that the Lord has given him a promise that those who are brought out of the land of Jerusalem, that if they shall keep his commandments, they shall prosper upon the face of this land. And that's so familiar to me because that that phrase, that promise, is found so often in the Book of Mormon. And it really made me think, what does it mean to prosper? I think sometimes when we read familiar verses, we just automatically kind of think the same thing that we've always thought before. Maybe the first thought we have is, well, if I'm going to prosper, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to live a life of wealth and ease. And I'm not so sure that that it's limited to that perspective when it comes to prosper. Did you have any thoughts about? Well, I think there's definitely an aspect of being uh, uh, doing well physically and socially and and uh, spiritually and to be able to to grow and thrive uh once again it's not easy uh but that it's um that that the spirit is there helping them to uh um to to thrive and and not just physically but spiritually as well but to be able to see kind of the teachings of the prophets, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and kind of start to see those things really in their daily life and in action. One of the things that came to my mind was that I wonder if part of prospering is having 
like our full use of our agency available to us to make choices for what direction we want to move in our life. Because if you look back at what they escaped in Jerusalem, a lot of people in Jerusalem were brought into captivity. Well, in captivity, your choices are pretty limited, what you can do, I would imagine. I've never been in captivity, but it doesn't sound like a good time. It doesn't sound like an experience I'd like to have. And so it was just a little food for thought for me that, okay, maybe prosperity is what I make of it on some level, that I here I have so many options laid before me for how I want to use my agency, and the specific outcome is largely dependent on how I choose to use my agency. Yeah, that made me think of the the pilgrims coming and how they uh, they came for freedom, and they, and and they had freedom, and it, it took us to a lot of work, a lot of effort, and uh, but they but they had the freedom that they desired here. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we get to in verses like nine through twelve. Lehi is reminding them all these blessings that have brought them to this point. Like, don't forget all of the all of the miracles, really, that it took for us to get to this point. But then I I loved, you know, here he's speaking to his sons, and he says, Oh, that you would awake, awake from a deep sleep. And so I thought, okay, that and and this is a theme. He uses this a few times. And I one of the thoughts that came to me is. In what ways are we asleep? Like, I think that that could be said to many of us at different points in our life. Like, you know, are my eyes closed spiritually in a type of slumber that I don't recognize the miracles that are happening in the lives of people around me or in my community or just the works of God and how that connects in my own life? I think it's possible to be sort of going about doing our daily life and be asleep to the things of God. Yeah, just having our focus, kind of looking, not looking to things that are of God, uh, having our focus elsewhere, and having that kind of cause us to become spiritually um, asleep or spiritually... um, Kind of desensitized. I don't know if that's the right word. This this phrase comes to mind where you hear the phrase to be asleep at the wheel. And it kind of makes me think of like sometimes when people are driving, maybe they space out for a minute or they're not like actively focusing on what's happening in the road. And I feel like sometimes we kind of go up like we're on autopilot in our lives without fully like being awake to that. Um But one of the things that I super loved in here, in verse 15, Lehi shares just this beautiful personal experience with the Lord. And I always find these moments in the scriptures or, you know, particularly when I experience this in real life, like if someone makes a comment at church or I'm having a conversation with someone, if they share their personal experience with me, not just like research that they've done or they've studied the scriptures and this is what the scriptures say but no this is my personal experience it always feels um really meaningful to me so he says in verse 15 the lord hath redeemed my soul from hell i have beheld his glory and i am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love and i love that lehi included that in there It's some of the most beautiful and relatable scripture, I feel like, if you've had that experience. 
and that's in contrast to verse 14, which is kind of the uh, him having this contrast of, of justice and, and mercy. And on 14, he's trying to, uh, I can imagine as a father, trying to get the attention of Laman and Lemuel and uh, whatever his posterity are struggling. Awake and arise from the dust. <clears throat> like, you're just kind of, groveling in the dirt and the mud <laughs> you know things of being uh, very um uh, terrestrial just very earthly uh kind of get elevate yourself out of that or, or look upward look to christ and, and because i think that's how that connects to verse 15 when he basically says um the lord hath redeemed my soul from hell like the the Lord is the one who's lifted me up. It's it's um and and He really wants that for Laman and Lemuel and all his posterity. I love that you brought up that connection to arise from the dust and likening that dust to being like arise from focusing so much on things of this mortal earth that there is that there's so much more that we're leaving below our privilege when we do that. When when I read through like seventeen through. 19 i was feeling a lot of uh connection with lehi because this is basically a parent worrying over their children which i think can resonate with so many of us at different times you know he says my heart hath been weighed down um i have feared for the hardness of your hearts um well on, on verse on verse 17 he he goes as far as to say i fear but he basically fears that, say, Lemuel and Lemuel will be cut off and destroyed forever. So that's a pretty harsh statement. And and to me, this makes Lehi a more relatable character. Like, he, and a relatable person, because he, he doesn't have this fear that somehow the Savior is able to, like, uh, help him figure out the right way of looking at it. He kind of goes a little bit over <laughs> and he has this fear um that the, that that they'll just be, mess things up for themselves and somehow be cut off from not have any hope and not have a chance and but then he kind of in verse uh 6 18 <laughs> kind of circles back around and and says or that a cursing will come basically that you will not have the spirit in your life and that you will have all those struggles that uh, come from from not having the spirit in, in your life, but he kind of he kind of retracts a little bit, and I and I, I like how, as a parent, we fear the worst. We fear that really bad things can happen to our kids or our nieces and nephews, people we love, but then he kind of reins it back in a little bit. That the Lord has a path, and it's a hard path, but He's made a path even for Laman and Lemuel to come back. Yes. And I like that you said that because as I was reading through this as a mother, and maybe this is partly a difference between mothers and fathers, I don't know, but I was just like, oh, that's like so, so harsh to say to your children. Like, I'm worried for your everlasting destruction. Like, oh, that's like not very hope filled. Right. But and yet there are those moments like you just brought up where, you know, in our weakness, because we are constrained by the veil we don't have the ability to see the lord's plan in our weakness that fear i think is a very common to us as parents in mortality and it has been 
quite a journey for me to maybe follow in Lehi's footsteps here and to turn to the Savior and recognize that that it that that the full weight of this responsibility is not on me, that the Savior is here and that he can offer that redemption and that rescue for my children, regardless of what kind of pickle they may get themselves into. Um, so moving on, I thought it was interesting. Um, again, we get the promise, if you keep my commandments, you shall prosper in the land. Um, and then he gives them some instruction. Again, he says in verse 21, arise from the dust, my sons, and be men. And I really love this sort of Zion reference, um, sort of what we're aiming for. And be determined in one mind and one heart, united in all things. So I thought that that was pretty, I don't know, it just got me a little excited, thinking that even in the midst of this, like, a little bit of family discord, that we're still aiming for this, like, elevated ideal, which we may not be achieving right now this week, but it's still where our hope can lie, is moving towards something like that. And I think for these verses... <clears throat> Different parts will resonate differently for different people, for us at different times in our life. Because Lehi is just trying to get get their attention. And at times, like I said, he's interleaving these very loving, merciful uh, type statements with awake. You know, and then like in, in 23, he's like, shake off the chains by which you're bound. So he's, he's kind of interleaving all this and in and, and hopes of getting their attention. And I think that there's definitely um, uh, something for everybody here as far as what, what resonates with us because he, he's definitely kind of intentionally using both ends of the spectrum. It does feel a little bit like a buffet. Like I'm going to give you hope and the savior and redemption. I'm going to tell you that it's going to be real rough if you don't follow that. And whichever one of those might motivate you, take it. Like hold on to it, take it and move forward from there. And then for all we know, when, when he's talking about like mercy or being united, for all we know, Laman and Lemuel started rolling their eyes. So <laughs> Also feels relatable. Yes. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting in verse 23, he tells them, put on the armor of righteousness, shake off the chains with which ye are bound. And it's really interesting because in both of those cases, you have this, it's it's very visual. You can picture both of those things. And they're both things that are made of metal that have a weight to them. And it's interesting how one is a protection and allows you to move forward in confidence if you have on that armor of righteousness you have the power of god behind you and there is a weight to it but it is a weight that is for your benefit as opposed to these chains if you see that visual it's a weight but it's a it's a very different kind of weight it's a restrictive weight it is something that would limit your ability to use your agency so that was something that jumped out at me as you were sharing about that verse. In verse 24, when it starts out, rebel no more against your brother. So at this point, although Laman and Lemuel are not called out specifically, we assume that a lot of this kind of, uh, some a good amount of this material was probably directed at them. 
And I thought it was interesting. He specifically says in verse 26, and I thought, okay, this definitely happens in families, but I think it probably happens a lot more globally than that, maybe within our church congregations or our communities, just other relationships. Because he says, ye have murmured, presumably speaking to Laman and Lemuel, ye have murmured because he hath been plain unto you, speaking of Nephi. And he said, you say that he hath used sharpness and that he has been angry with you. So that's their perspective, right? They're saying... Listen, Nephi's being unreasonable. He's angry with us. He's, you know, not giving us a break. He just calls us on stuff all the time. And he says, but behold, his sharpness was the sharpness of the power of the word of God, which was in him. And that which ye call anger was the truth, according to that which was in God. And I thought that's so interesting how these brothers were we're perceiving the same actions from Nephi so differently. Well, I mean, Nephi, he's hes mortal. He's not perfect. So I am sure that there are instances that Laman and Lemuel probably rehash in their head of when he maybe was well-intentioned but didn't say it exactly perfectly. <laughs> or, 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 you know, that they probably just um, are whether it be kind of rehashing things or looking for ways to find fault in Nephi, uh, since he's mortal, there's always, there's going to be definitely uh, things that to latch on to. Which is part of why I really think it's such a blessing for us that we get this. Like I, I was trying to think, and Ryan, if you can think of an instance, then let me know. But I was trying to think if there's another sort of family that we're able to see really the inner workings of so much in scripture as we are with this family and what a vulnerable thing to share so much of the inner workings of the family like I know in our house like to be transparent it's not like every day I would want scripture written about every word that comes out of my mouth or every interaction between every person in our house because we're human we're working on it and in this house, we're actively using the atonement to make up for the mistakes that do get made, right? And so I think that that's just another evidence that the Book of Mormon is, to me, unique in that way because it's giving us such relatable content between families and between siblings and parents and children and journeying to do these hard things. Um, so as we progress along we are going to see that Lehi starts to get specific. So he's been talking to them sort of as a group, but now he's going to get just a little bit more specific. He um, speaks at the end of chapter one to Zoram. Um, but then I thought interesting at the very start, he starts in the very first verse of chapter two, which chapter two was my favorite in the reading today. I don't know if you're supposed to have favorites, but I did. So that there you go. So he first speaks talking to Jacob. Um, and I thought one of the things that I really appreciated, he acknowledged as a father, he acknowledged in thy childhood, thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow, you know, by following the commandments of the Lord, it was hard on his children. This was a hard thing that Lehi took his family through and that he's acknowledging that I think is really a beautiful example for us. You know, especially for Jacob, this is all he's ever known. He he was not, didn't have part of his childhood in their, I'm sure, very comfortable home in Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 2, um, Because of the greatness of God, he shall consecrate thine, affli thine afflictions for thy gain. And I 
that's such a beautiful truth and principle that we're gaining here as he talks to Jacob. Yeah, I think uh, one of the themes that I've picked up on this and we get I, the theme of agency and choice is, is, is definitely there. But consecrating thine afflictions, like um, being able to take, once again, it all kind of comes back to the Savior, being able to take good things or what we say are good things, uh, hard things, bad things, being able to take all the all the spectrum of experiences that we have in mortality um, and being able to have that be sanctified through the Savior Jesus Christ. And in that, and I'll bring it up more later as we get to those verses, but the, the, the consecrate is a very powerful word there. And I think really showing us in real time with his family how even though these challenges that you have been through are real and there is suffering, he just starts in verse 6. I mean, right at the end of talking with Jacob, he says, Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law. So right here, he is directing, just as prophets do, directing them, their, their focus and acknowledging that all of the grace that they get comes through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And in, in verse 5, right before that, uh, there's a phrase down in there that's, And by the law, no flesh is justified. Um, the purpose of the law is to point us, whatever law it is, law of Moses, the law we have now, whatever law we have, the purpose is to point us to Jesus Christ. Um, but he's very, very clear that just by obeying the law, because Laman and Lemuel, <laughs> they may have been very reluctant, but, but they seem to have accepted the law of Moses and, and were generally okay with it and even participating in the patriarchal <laughs> order meaning obeying their father following his counsel i mean really yeah, yes. I, th I think it's easy to focus a lot on layman and lemuel and their sort of mm, resistance to obedience and yet they're in the promised land like they did travel with their family they did humble themselves after the storm and after the bow broke right so they've been doing work along the way and go ahead because I think how you were where you were going with it is but here he's with he's with Jacob and he really wants to um you know in the previous chapter with Laman and Lemuel it was more about like trying to get their attention with the the, the destruction or, or the and the judgments of God and here he, he's he's basically saying yeah, there's this law, but it's not what justifies us. It, it points us to the Savior. And that's where I think where verse 6 really kind of just segues in very nice. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah. It does not come in through the law. Which um, I looked up because today I was feeling like a word nerd when I was studying. And Messiah, its origin is Hebrew, which is not surprising, and it means anointed, but it also means deliverer or savior. And I thought, okay, this is important. And as we go along, we see 
the because I just I just love that word the Messiah. I think it's so beautiful, and it's full of hope. You know, for generations, the people of Israel looked for their Messiah, um, and he says in verse eight. Um, that it's through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah who layeth down his life according to the flesh and taketh it again by the power of the spirit. And one of the more comforting things, one of the more comforting truths that we learn about our savior in verse nine, he shall make intercession for all the children of men. And again, I looked up intercession to intervene on behalf of another. And I can't imagine anything more comforting and touching than to picture the savior standing on my behalf at the throne of God to say, I have paid the price for my sister, Michelle, and to, to have him as the person who makes intercession on my behalf is like the best news of my whole life. I love it. Not much more to add to that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I kind of closed that one off kind of yeah. neat. <laughs> uh, so Lehi here, he really makes uh, some very clear doctrine about the Savior. And now, starting in verse 11, he's going to step mm-hmm. back and start talking about why we needed a Savior. Uh, for them, the Savior hasn't come yet, but they talk as if he's come, or as he's just as real uh for them as the savior is to us Mm -hmm. um and so he starts talking about kind of the 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 reasons and um yes and so he he starts talking about opposition and i have to say that i don't know if this is just something within me that i'm like but does there really need to be opposition but apparently yes this is a very true principle there must be an opposition in all things verse 11 and he is talking us you know he takes us through in some ways this is a little bit of logic kind of sharing like the like the sequence starting in verse 13 he says you know this whole sequence if you shall say there is no law then you shall say there's no sin and if there's no sin then there's no righteousness and he carries through kind of explaining that that train of thought doesn't get get us anywhere. It doesn't get you where you think it gets you. I don't think that that means what you think it means is kind of what he's <laughs> telling them here. Um, but And then he turns and starts to testify what it means. In verse 14, he testifies to them, there is a God and he hath created all things. And then the next part that really stood out to me is in verse 15. It must needs be that there was an opposition. So we're talking now about when this earth was created, because he speaks about that he's created all things, Adam and Eve are on it, everything is set, but it's not fully set in motion yet, right? We're here in this perfected state, and he says it must needs be that there was an opposition, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other bitter. And then I thought, I don't think it's a coincidence that in verse 16, so we see this set up, we have this opposition that is like the foundation, the playing field that we're working with. And then in verse 16, the Lord gave, the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. And one of the things that I thought is, we know that agency is such a key part of our progression. If we want to continue developing and um, growing and sort of reaching the full divine potential that we have, 
we have to have agency to choose that. And it seems like without opposition, how could we have agency? How could we make choices if there was nothing to choose between? I'd be interested to know what stood out to you with this whole concept with the opposition. I, I was thinking in terms of, of experiences, and I may be skipping ahead a little bit, because he, but like we came down on this earth to, to experience things, to, to be able to choose. Uh, uh, to, and I, uh, Laura Barton gave a good testimony last Sunday about being able to have the ability to choose every day, like, yes. and be able to have that choice. Um, which is both great and hard because it's great that we get this opportunity to choose, but it's hard because it's not like we can just choose really awesome once and then kick back and not worry about it. Like we are choosing every day, every week, if we're following the savior or we're not. And so yeah, that's both a blessing and something that we have to struggle against our mortality with. And sometimes with the word choice, it can it can feel like it's a little bit it can, it can feel a little black and white, like there's good and bad. Um, I, I think a good amount of our of our mortal existence here is experiencing things. We can experience something like anger, frustration, something that we think of as being negative, um, and that's. In general, we don't like those feelings. We don't want those feelings. Yeah, they're uncomfortable. They're, they're uncomfortable feelings, but we we can still have those feelings and experience what it what it is to to feel that, and it, it'll circle back around to the Savior as it always does, and that. But maybe it's best stated to be able to go back to um, the statement from verse uh, two. two he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. That through the Savior, we're allowed to experience these negative things. And it's not like the, the Lord wants us to sin, but he's given us the choice. He knows that we will sin um, in some form. Everybody does. And we have to experience what it feels like to be kind of separated from God. We need to have that experience for what it means to repent and turn back to God. We need to have that experience of forgiving somebody who we feel rightfully frustrated at, which in family life happens all the <laughs> all time. The time. Yeah. We get lots of those opportunities, <laughs> don't we? And, and so there's, there's this whole, I, I've been thinking about in terms of experiencing, because I think that it's easy for us to say we choose good, we avoid bad. But I think there's so much more to it than just that. Right, because we're not just here to not make mistakes. We're here to learn, to progress, and I love that. And one of the things that I would add to the things that these experiences allow us to do is to feel the what Lehi shared um, in the chapter before when he says, that the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. So as you were sharing some of these experiences and how going through these negative or suffering experiences or moments of sin and mistake, not only do we get to experience what that feels like to be separated from God, but we get to experience what that feels like to have him welcome and embrace us back in connection with him. 
And that is such a beautiful thing to experience for ourselves. We may know that it's true because we studied it and we have faith, but until we feel it for ourselves, there's something missing in our tutoring that that experience is significant. Well, it's a big thing because it's what Laman and Lemuel ultimately missed. True. Being able to be humbled, (laughs) go through hard things, and yet still have a soft heart or willingness to turn to to uh to the lord to the savior and to kind of lean into him and to allow themselves to be comforted or find some hope that i I think that was that's a big thing that was missing from layman and lemuel they could go through very similar experiences physically all of them (laughs) and 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 i'm sure mistakes being made on both sides of the of the table, as you were saying earlier about Nephi and even Lehi, there's nothing perfect about any of these people. But the one of the differentiating factors, it seems, from what we're able to read here, is that those who turned to the Savior were anchored to Him. Yes, and that ultimately brought them to that place of prosperity. So then we we talk in verse seventeen. We get introduced here in the scriptures to the devil. So we've been talking about the Savior, and we get introduced to the devil. And I thought that this was one of the best descriptors ever in verse 18. He says, Because he had fallen from heaven and had become miserable forever, he sought also the misery of all mankind. And I thought, well, that sounds about right from what I've observed that he's trying to do here on earth is just make everything miserable. And then it it, it says something it says what what he says it calls him the father of all lies and he says partake of the forbidden fruit and ye shall not die so he's speaking of course to eve but ye shall be as god knowing good and evil and i was reminded again how satan is very manipulative and he is very sneaky because he takes he he very rarely just hands us an outright lie because that would be very easy to recognize and dismiss but here he takes this partial truth and he twists it and includes a lie within it. And so I think that that's just another good reminder of how Satan operates in our life. Yeah, I'm looking at that sentence more. I mean, when he says, you shall not die, um, th- there was definitely a spiritual death and a separation from God that Correct. happened immediately. They were cast out of the garden. But then I also, was uh, in the last part, it says, but ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. I was thinking that, well, the lie, the lie about that is they would be firsthand experiencing good and evil. <laughs> it wasn't just some intellectual knowledge. True. It's not like, I'm going to make you real smart, and now you're suddenly going to know. No, your knowledge is going to come through experience. Blood, sweat, and tears. Exactly. Oh, goodness. Okay, that makes, that just feels, I can feel that deep in my soul. That feels so true. Okay, and then verse 19, it's talking about Adam and Eve and how this transition by by partaking of the fruit, that their state became a state of probation, which for some reason stood out to me. Probation being a period of testing or a time of observing the character or abilities of a person. So here we are on earth, each of us having this this state, and it's a period of experiencing. I'm loving that you brought that that as sort of in, a returning focus. In, in the church, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll quote the, 
the verse from uh, Moses, the book of Moses, talking about that we're here to be tried and tested. And, and, and for us, testing is a very specific thing, right? There, there's answers, there's good, good ways and bad ways of doing things. And you might get an A, you might get a C. <laughs> Some of us have test anxiety and this whole thing sounds super stressful. But I think t- talking about this being a time of experiencing and having the opportunity to experience the atonement of Jesus Christ, somehow that feels so much less pass-fail to me. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why the recurring theme of mercy comes in is because no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what we've done in the past, we have opportunity to to turn to the Savior and he can help us. As you said at the very beginning, he can come where we're at and uh, and be with us. Yes. So in the next section, I really thought it was um, cool to see how Lehi is describing the Messiah. So I'm just here in chapters 26 through 27 right now, how he is describing or explaining um, not only the Savior, but our heavenly parents to us. Um, Because he says, the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because they are redeemed, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil to act for themselves. And here in verse 27, he says, they are free to choose liberty and eternal life or to choose captivity and death. And I, and I was thinking as parents, how this is a really challenging gift to learn to give your children and that our heavenly parents have given us because it is the gift of being able to act for ourselves. And I thought, now that our like our, our oldest child has stepped into adulthood as an 18-year-old and is stepping into this place of acting for himself, I can understand in a way that I didn't before what a challenging thing that is as a parent to... And maybe just what a beautiful gift it is that our heavenly parents have given us this gift. We literally get to choose. Because undoubtedly they know exactly what path would be like the most efficient and shortcut through all of the trials. But instead of just handing us the answers and forcing us to do it how they want us to do it, they have a confidence in us and they they allow us to act and to choose for ourselves to experience. And and one of the things I got from these verses was that because of the Savior, we actually have a choice. And ultimately, the choice is whether or not we turn to the Savior in good times and hard times, or or we or we don't. Um, but that the the Savior is the one who allowed us to have this choice. Without the Savior. We would just be forever cut off from from God and not have any hope, um, and that would not be a very loving heavenly Father who would do that. Uh, but I mean, it's like if if you just uh, picture it, it's like without the Savior, it's like you go down this path, you do pretty good, but yeah, you still had you know a fair amount of uh, imperfections. Okay, you're cut off from God. Or you go down this path, very destructive. Oh, you're cut off from God too. I mean, that. <laughs> it, 
It really doesn't motivate you, does it? No. It, you don't have that you, me, that atonement. So so with but with the atonement you actually have a choice and every day you have a choice. Like what's happened in the past you can for better or worse, like what you said, you have to rechoose every day. But if there's um uh, if you feel distant from God, which I've felt uh, on and off in my life, that's not a permanent thing. If, if there's uh, sin that keeps you from God, from feeling his love, you know, that, that's something that can be, that can be addressed. It's not, it's not, um, that, that choice is every day. And we have every reason to have hope because of what we have learned. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out before we close out from this chapter, unless you had something else you wanted to share, was um, in verse 29. He says that that when we choose, um, he says, which giveth the spirit of the devil power to captivate or to bring us down to hell. And I thought that's so interesting because when we choose darkness or maybe it's not so much that we're choosing darkness but we are not choosing light that it gives satan power over us that in essence we are giving away some of our power to satan when we choose not to focus toward god toward heaven toward that divine light that is within us that that is where he gets his access to us is when we are not focused on the savior um, I was going to jump forward into verses 7 through 11 in chapter 3. Did you have anything you wanted to catch sooner than that in chapter 3? No. Or finishing up in chapter 2? No. Okay, so um, chapter 3, I felt like the like the most important thing to comment on here is that we see um, some teachings understanding Joseph from the Old Testament and also looking forward and seeing some prophecy about Joseph Smith who would come. Um, calls Joseph Smith a seer, which we know to be a revelator and a prophet. And in verse 11, he says, um, a seer will I, will I raise up unto him? Will I give power to bring forth my word? And I think the feeling that I mostly had as I was reading this about Joseph Smith was gratitude. I was thinking about what a beautiful experience I have just had in chapter two feeling a connection to the Savior, being reminded that I have every reason to hope that there is grace and mercy and that I'm here experiencing and that, and that even my afflictions will be turned for my good and that none of that would have been um, part of my experience today if it had not been for Joseph Smith bringing forth the Book of Mormon. So for that and many other things, I'm sure. But that was the part that stood out to me. So I'm going to take us into chapter four. And Ryan, I think you had something to share here at the start of chapter four. <clears throat> so this is this is the chapter where, where, where Lehi <clears throat> passes away. We don't have, other than the general counsel to all the sons in, in chapter two, uh, or chapter one, we do not have... The counsel he gave to Nephi. True. <laughs> I didn't even notice that, but you're um, exactly right. But so um, I'm not, not going to speculate here, but uh, we, we know that, uh, you, you know, maybe it was an ongoing thing. Maybe he felt like he told he shared with them everything. Because Nephi probably listened to him. <laughs> so he probably had more opportunities to talk with him, maybe. I don't know. That's a guess on my part. 
But the one thing, but when when Lehi dies, one of one of my thoughts was is back in in First Nephi when when Ishmael dies. Nephi doesn't make a whole lot of statements about it. You know, the daughters and sons of Ishmael mourn and, and then they get angry at, at Nephi, which is the pattern. Um, but here, all of a sudden, it becomes really personal to Nephi what it means to have a father pass away. Like, he didn't experience it before. And all of a sudden, he's just flooded with mm. emotion for feeling like he can't fill the shoes of his father, that that he just all all these feelings of probably some feelings of loneliness, of um, not being sure, because um, Lehi was definitely the anchor who kept the family together. So what, to me, this chapter really makes Nephi more human. <laughs> uh, because all of a sudden he's asked to go through this really hard thing and he shares his own journey for how he's able to allow the Savior to come into his life and to help him kind of work through it. Okay, I have never fully made that connection before, so I'm really glad that you brought that up. And it makes so much sense that this sort of vulnerability that we see in Nephi is appearing in this place in the scriptures as you make that connection for us as he's grieving for his father. Um, And so, I mean, I just love that we can jump right in. He says in verse 17, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. And there's been a few times when I thought, okay, Nephi, if you're wretched, then what hope do the rest of us have? But having that perspective really does make a difference for me because instead of thinking like, seriously, why are you feeling that way? I My heart is filled with compassion for Nephi now after you shared that experience that of course there is going to be that um, that experience. Did you want to jump in anywhere specific in there or do you want for me to just... So I mean, I mean he's, he's, he's wrestling with it, right? He has, he, he knows a lot of things. He's experienced a lot of things. And, and this is still really hard, even though Lehi, like he knew the time was coming, it was still extremely hard. And, and you could just sense the, this internal wrestle with what he knows, how, how he feels. And sometimes how he feels is very different from what he knows. Like I'm a wretched person. Right. Um, and maybe comforting for us all to know, which is more how I read it this time. So my first feelings of being like, well, gosh, if Nephi feels like he's terrible, then what hope have I? It was probably in previous readings when I was a bit younger. This time as I was reading it, I was definitely feeling sort of camaraderie with Nephi to some extent to think, okay, if Nephi, we've we've seen the great visions that he's had. He's communed with the Savior. He's communed with angels. He's been divinely tutored. And Nephi is still human. And he still is subject to these insecurities and these moments of grief and despair like in verse 18 he says i am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me for for me it feels like he has this very acute awareness of of now that lehi's gone all of a sudden he finds himself kind of 
more distant from God. There, there's something that's just missing, and 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 which I think meant that grief is so complicated that sometimes I have had moments in grief when I have felt so close to the Savior and to God. But I think that there are other moments of grief that I've experienced where it's hard to feel anything, including a connection to God in those moments, other than feeling overwhelmed by our despair. So I mean, you it's can, easy like, to understand well, why Sometimes grief just way. kind of leaves this this hole in you that just feels like nothing can fill it. And and he's he finds him, he has acute awareness that of how imperfect he is and, and how probably alone he is. It, but it, but then he, I love just how he how he wrestles with that. Yes, because it because it seems to me there's like kind of three sections that I was able to see, and the first one it gives us a really beautiful example of where to turn your focus if you find yourself in this position. Because he's he's sort of like the first thing that he does is he reminds himself of what he does know. So he kind of reconnects himself to his experiences what and what, what he knows. In verse 19, I know in whom I have trusted. Verse 20, my God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness. Verse 21, he hath filled me with love. Verse 23, he hath heard my cry by day and hath given me knowledge by visions in the nighttime. In verse 24, angels came down and ministered unto me. Verse 25, my eyes have beheld great things. So he's reminding himself of the experiences that he has had. And I I was struck by how simple that is. And yet there's nothing but how challenging that is in those moments of despair to remind ourselves of the moments when God has shown up in our life. That even if we are not feeling his love or feeling that connection that we want that we can recall times in our life when we have felt that connection and we know that even if we can't feel it at this moment we know that it's real and that it's there i I think that's i think that's the key is at times we look back at those moments in our life where we felt really close to god or felt definitely uh, felt that burning testimony and also like we remember we have it but it's like why don't why am i not feeling it now maybe it wasn't real back then and 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 here i definitely get the impression that <clears throat> nephi is is remembering these things but he's not fully feeling them because yes. he is still uh still wrestling through these uh he's having a, a big struggle with himself within himself and i think verse 31 gives us the key but i want to first touch on a couple things in between cuz he says like, like he's almost confused and frustrated. I'm feeling like, as, as you've shared your perspective, I'm feeling like he thinks, okay, I know all these things are true. So why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow? Like, I know that this is true. So why do I feel this way? I'm not feeling what I'm accustomed to, just that confidence in the Lord and that connection to him. So I know that this is true. Why am I feeling this way? And I think that that's something we can all relate to. And um, he again says, why should I give way to temptations? Why am I angry? And and he says in verse 28, he's sort of again refocusing himself, right? Like 
like as you were saying, that wrestle, it ebbs and flows as he's finding his direction here. Awake my soul, give place no more for the enemy of my soul. And then to me, the beautiful part in verse 31, O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me? And I just think there's something so beautiful in the asking of that and that he is seeking to, he's beseeching the Lord to, 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 to be with him in this struggle. And I love that reminder that we don't have to fight alone, that we can reach out to the Savior and to ask for that deliverance and to ask for that. And he says in verse 33, O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness, which in many ways feels sort of like a hug, like come and, come and embrace me, encircle me, lift me up. O Lord, wilt thou make a way for mine escape? Uh, clear my way before me at the end of 33 and in 34. O Lord, I have trusted in thee and I will trust in thee forever. In verse 35, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh, which I think is like the beautiful part of that connection to verse 31 where he asks. Um, and he says, um, if I ask not amiss. And I guess I just wanted to touch on that for just a moment, that concept of asking amiss, because I think sometimes that phrase makes us hesitant to ask at all because we're worried that we're going to ask for the right for for the, for the wrong thing that what we're asking isn't God's will for us and i think when i was looking up my definitions cuz i was a word nerd today um that a miss doesn't mean to ask wrong it means to like miss the focus like that you're not accurate and i thought but I think what Nephi is teaching us here is that if we're focused on the Savior when we ask, then we don't need to be worried. Like if I'm going to ask because I want to like know what the next hottest stock is going to be in the stock market, eh, maybe that's maybe, maybe I've lost focus. Maybe I've missed focus on what prayer is for here. But if I am beseeching the Savior or my Heavenly Father and I'm asking for love and support, I I think that that is, we've got our focus on the right things. I just talked a lot. Any thoughts? So in ver yeah, in verse 35, when he says, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. I, I, I think that as we try to, try to turn ourselves to the Savior, heavenward, try, try to turn ourselves heavenward, that the that we can feel the love of God, and that that is so powerful. Meaning that that is something that, as we feel the love of God, feel that He's there, He's mindful of us, and that He's not going to abandon us, and that we have reason to hope, even if in the midst of where we're at, we cannot see exactly any good outcome that we can feel that love and that assurance that somehow some way it's it's going to be okay and that when he when he says yeah my god will give me i think the biggest thing he gives us is just that reassuring amount of love 
and and the Savior who's able to come and be with us. Amen. I love that so much. So verse 5, I'm going to do a quick summary. I mean, chapter 5. We get back into our plot a little bit, and we find that once Lehi is no longer part of the family structure, sort of holding everybody together, that... Laman and Lemuel are not taking kindly to having Nephi be a leader over them. In fact, they seek to take away his life. He says that on more than one occasion that um, that his life was literally in jeopardy um, and that the Lord did warn him that he should depart from them and flee into the wilderness. And I wrote next to there, into the wilderness again, like bless his, just bless his heart. And I, and I thought, okay, sometimes I feel like Nephi because the wilderness is like uncharted territory, right? That we're like taking a path or living in areas that we haven't seen it modeled for us. We haven't seen how it's done. We just have to rely on the Lord. And apparently, even if you're awesome like Nephi, you may be asked to make that kind of journey more than once in your life. And that it is not a sign of anything other than it's what your next step is and we're going to trust in the Lord to, um, I think it comes to make that progression back to experience. <laughs> Even is... though he probably felt like he's been there, done that. Can we check that off and not have to do that again? Uh, the... <laughs> that was not the Lord's plan for him that he would, he's finds himself in the land of promise and yet he still has to, he still finds himself packing up and, and having to, Settle somewhere else. Start over again. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to mention that... Well, one, oh, go ahead. One other thought I had is I think I think that there's a powerful lesson in that and that we feel like you can only imagine like they get, they, they're settled in the promised land. They kind of get their feet underneath them. They get uh, the food situation in control. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> Very important. Mm-hmm. Um and all of a sudden they're asked to go like basically throw in the towel and or you know and and, and to basically say that this isn't working i need to go uh basically start over again i mean there, there's so many times in our life where uh there, there are situations that just feel like that or very much like that where we Feel it, we're feel like we're doing the right thing and we're trying hard and yet it feels like boy that didn't work uh, okay gonna forge this different path I, I'm pretty sure this is what God wants me to do and uh, uh, I don't know if that didn't work out because I did something wrong or not but uh, or if it, it comes back to the word of the day experience experience there was something and isn't that the beautiful thing that even as we take these detours in our journey to our final destination wherever that is still a mystery to me that i mean here on this earth it's a bit of a mystery that every piece of it that experience that the lord can turn that to our benefit so none of it is wasted so I'm thankful for that. Um, I'm, I'm going to close out here at the end of chapter 5 with verse 27, which I thought was just something that is worth pondering about. Because he says, And it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness. And I thought, you know, I've kind of pondered that throughout the day today and been thinking, what does it mean to live after the manner of happiness? I don't think it means that you didn't have to go into the wilderness. 
And I don't think it means that your brother never wanted to kill you. Like, obviously, Nephi's redefining here maybe what happiness means compared to what many of us would think would be an absence of struggle. That living after the manner of happiness, maybe in my experience, I have felt that the most when I feel confident that I am in connection to God. So I don't know. That was just one thought that I had. I don't think it's all inclusive, but that was one thought that came to me. My thought kind of to piggyback on that is when you have that connection to God and to the Savior and you're not spending so much time worrying about the future that you kind of can enjoy the moment, work in the moment, uh, experience the moment, but but to turn over kind of the, the future and all the anxieties and stresses about the future over to God. And that you can live in that trust, that trust in God and that he, he has you. He's yeah. got you. He's got, okay. he's got them this far. Exactly. And, and to trust that it'll continue. That Right, that that path is going to open up. Well, that finishes off our reading for this week. So thank you, Ryan, for joining me today. And for diving into this conversation um, about 2 Nephi chapters 1 through 5. Uh, Until next week, thank you.